live. We're live. It's happening. Always. And forever. And on YouTube again. It's happening again. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. So this is it's very exciting. It is exciting. I do I do think in general when we do live streams and we kind of get back into the swing of that, we'll be a little bit more involved with the chat and like, you know, kind of engage the whole YouTube experience a little bit more. Definitely. I think I know tonight, like I really want to focus on the podcast as usual just because Absolutely. We're getting back to what what's going on in Ukraine. I think we're gonna we're gonna give a little update on Ukraine. I think we're going to talk about what's going on with the situation itself, like what is actually happening in Ukraine, and then also what's been going on, you know, in terms of foreign policy, and then what's going on here with regards to how we're dealing with Ukraine and how people are uh, receiving it here, and, and some of the effects that we're already feeling, even though we're not directly engaged in the warfare, right. we are already feeling the effects. So I think that's something important. Let me ask you this, because I know um, you made me take the reins on the last episode. Sure. So um, I, I I can already sense in the way that you're behaving this evening since I've gotten here mm -hmm. uh, that you're real riled up. Yes. I can tell. Yes. I can tell because, uh, you know, normally when we start live feed, even though this one was, uh, you know, last minute, it's all jokes when we're setting up, you know. I have a punchline, you laugh, I chuckle because I made you laugh, it fills me with great joy. But today I there was uh there was a fire in your eyes. You, and so what do you think? And I know that we have some other things to talk about, but since you brought up Ukraine yeah. really quickly. Yeah. What do you think upsets people the most about the war that's going on in Ukraine? And what do you think the actual biggest issue is? Wow. So that's a really good question. I think that there it, you can't sum it up into one thing. Mm -hmm. I think the issues at hand are – I think there's a multiple causation situation here, meaning – some people are really upset because they have Ukrainian family mm -hmm. or they're just natural humanitarians that really care about the world. Certainly. I think there are people that believe in the politics behind it, the good and bad that's happening. I think the story itself of Ukraine is very intriguing because we've seen a lot of heroism, right? Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, the the actions of President Zelensky have been far more than just admirable. I think if you took what Zelensky is doing and even shrunk it down to a microcosm of being a coach of a high school basketball team or a manager at a corporation or whatever the case is, where you have to lead people. He has exemplified everything you could want in a leader. And it's not just the, the badass quotes, mm -hmm. but it's everything he does. For instance, he was going to do a press conference. And of course, you know, the president of any country wants to be dressed to the nines 
and you know sit in front of the podium with its microphones and stand high above everyone and you know the spotlight is on them and they need to shine in that moment and i saw Zelensky in one of his interviews or one of his press briefings he pulled a chair over to the side of the podium and he put it down he sat down and he shook the hands of some of the reporters that were there and he leveled the playing field it wasn't about him being above everyone making these executive decisions it was him relating to people and there there could be no more important thing that he does right now because not only is that significant to for the morale of his own people mm-hmm. but that relatability and that vulnerability has spoken to the hearts of the rest of the world and that's why there's so much investment in what's going on. He humanized the whole situation in moments like that. We've seen so much brutality already with the Russian bombings. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen, I think the, the newest totals are 400 civilians have died and over 1.5 million refugees have fled the country going over to Poland and, and other parts of Europe. And so there's there's a certain element tugging on our heartstrings that this is this isn't just a bunch of numbers and a bunch of bombings. Mm-hmm. These are human beings. And for me, I know at first when I heard like the warship story where you said go fuck yourself and yeah. the sunflower seeds like I I was hyped. Yeah. But the more I've seen it, the more the more human element there is to it for instance tonight i saw a clip of i think jason sent it to me or both of us or uh, it was a twitter post from Medina menzel uh for those of you that don't know who she is she's the incredible artist that actually sang the song let it go and she tweeted it out saying we see you and it was this little girl in a bomb shelter singing let it go in ukrainian and everyone in there just enjoying that moment, forgetting that they're in a bomb shelter. And for me, that's why I'm just like, there, there's so much humanity here and I want, I want the world to do more. And I understand and I'll talk about it, why we can't just rush to do more because of the vulnerabilities that that would present. But man, just sitting back and letting Ukraine defend itself is just absolutely heart-wrenching. It just it just racks with my emotions. So, yeah. I, I don't know if I adequately answered that question. You didn't capture it, but I think that was still important. You, didn't, you know what I mean? Yeah, so to go back, like, what is the most important aspect of it all? I think foreign, the, the foreign aspect is that's most important would be when does Putin stop then? Like what if, what if the invasion of Ukraine isn't going well and he's forced to make more drastic measures, for instance, launching a nuclear missile. Okay. I think domestically, I think we're, we've been far more involved with this whole plan all along, but one thing Vladimir Putin has been able to do with even the American public is play us like a fiddle. So you think that's what we should be most worried about? Yeah. I think 
the way we've been able to be played by some politicians, by social media, by media in general, I See, think I is very just. Dis- I, I just think that's business as usual, man. Somebody mani- manipulating the system. I don't think that that's, uh, and I, I I don't think it's the first time something like that's been done. And I know that you said off air, uh, or maybe you said it when we first started the YouTube clip, um, that you know Putin's doing a great job of that, you know, um, and he always kind of has. Mm-hmm. I, I you know I don't even think that's the the biggest issue. To me, the biggest issue is just that. And, and actually, it kind of ties in with your point. The the thing that we should be worried most about is how this divides the country. Mm-hmm. And so that partially plays in with what you're saying. And I know that you're probably going to go a little bit more into how you think he's manipulating the American people, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, of note. Um, but I thought that for sure when this all started happening – you know, everybody in Congress was working together. They're like, okay, this is bad. This is something that we need to do. But it's like, how long did, or this is something that we need to handle. How long did that, like, camaraderie actually last for? It wasn't, like, on the same level as 9-11. You no. know what I mean? No. Um, you know, uh, where everyone's like, yeah, you know, f- you know, fuck them. We're the best. Let's band together. Let's do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I wish it would have lasted longer because... This is not something to necessarily be um, divisive about. This is something that we should be able to look at from the outside in, which is something we should all be thankful for, that we're not in Ukraine. Um, or and, and also we're not in Russia, because you know what? There's a lot of Russian people that are, are completely against this too. Yes. And it's like they're being thrown into it. There's nothing that they can do. And and that's something that I think that we, we easily forget as well, is that... Um, we also need to feel badly for, for the Russian people as well. I, I 100% agree with that because you got to keep in mind, Putin was not elected yeah. in a fashion that really represents a democratic nation. Right. Let's be very clear about that. Yeah. And so he knows how to talk about elections and the democratic process to swing it your way better than probably most, you know, he's, he's, former KGB like he's you know he was Russian intelligence like he knows how to manipulate and play that game yeah you know the United States intelligence agencies know how to overthrow governments we've done it before and so you know Putin used some of our own tactics against us and so you know in 2016 and then again in 2020 we saw a lot of that manipulation happening but to, to go back to your other point, I couldn't agree more. You had, you know, Republicans coming out and almost going too far, right? Mm-hmm. Lindsey Graham came out and said we need to – he basically called for Putin's assassination on Twitter. Now, you and I talking about it on a podcast, a little bit different. You and I thinking about it, probably every American has thought about that, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's very justified. Where do we but get as a sitting, cigars? At <laughs> – as a sitting senator that yeah. actually has influence into making those mm-hmm. decisions, mm-hmm. you absolutely, under no fucking circumstances, can tweet that out. No. So he was going too far. And then Ted Cruz said, hey, like, we need to, you know, sanction them, cripple them, all of that. And that's 
great, all well and good, but we should not be looking to assassinate. And I actually agreed with Ted Cruz. Like, it was yeah. not the time or place to be seeing those types of things. With that said, when we talk about these economic sanctions, they hurt Putin, right? They hurt the oligarchs, mm-hmm. but it doesn't cripple them long term. What it really does is cripple the Russian people. Yeah. Because when the ruble is worth nothing, yeah, okay, Putin, point, Putin yeah. can't go out and buy another yacht. Or he might have to sell some of his castles or Florida properties or whatever he has in Trump Tower. He might have to do that. That's different. There are Russian people that are not going to be able to buy bread, milk. Well, there's going to be a lot of Russian people that aren't going to be able to buy anything anyways. I know Visa and MasterCard both... um Stop processing. Stop, stop processing for for Russian tran- for Russian transactions, and I know the scary part about that is they picked up, um, but China basically stepped in, and now I can't remember what it's called that they have. It's like a- Alliance or Ally or something like that, but they they have their own processing systems sure. that now Russia is going to be using. Uh, just so that they can make transactions, so that they can buy things as a country, right? Uh, but and I'm saying like long term, like yeah. maybe the oh, ru- right. maybe the no, ruble, yeah, yeah, no. maybe the ruble doesn't ever ruble doesn't ruble. ever really come back to what it once was, and that's fine. When when you're a billionaire and you lose half of your value, you're still worth five hundred million dollars, and that's only if you have one billion dollars, right? And so. If you're making, if you have a net worth of $30,000, like you make, let's say $25,000 a year and you've saved up and whatever, you lose half of that, that is dramatically worse. Oh, absolutely. So when we're, when we're looking to cripple them economically and sanction the shit out of them, that's really good to like hopefully deter the Putins and the other oligarchs. But at the same time, is that really damaging the the greater good, right? Because those people are going to suffer. And what happens when people are suffering? It leads to raised crime. It leads to hate. It leads to suffering, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's where we start to see, you know, in Afghanistan, right? They could they, they saw the suffering that was going on. And, and so Osama bin Laden can get people to... You know, they're already agitated. Now I'm just giving that agitation direction. It was the same thing here in America. The people that stormed the Capitol, I will say it time and time again, they had a right to be agitated just about their life. The American system is failing them, but they put their, their, their support behind the wrong man, and they took that agitation and directed it towards democracy instead of the, the, the system that has been broken the election system for all intents and purposes of this conversation were not rigged right yes voting laws need to be better gerrymandering etc etc but you can go the the machines weren't rigged against you right so that's the problem and so we're seeing this erosion of democracy because of people like putin but we're also seeing the erosion of 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 an economy that that supports millions and millions of people. And so while I want to deter Putin from making mistakes, this man seems like he's just doing whatever he wants. He's an authoritarian. That's how it works. And usually the end of any authoritarian regime is when the leader has no support left, so he just goes out there and does whatever he wants and ends an entire population's control. Yeah. 
I mean, yeah. you see it with any any situation, whether it's Saddam Hussein or Lenin or, mm-hmm. or, or Hitler or any authoritarian. When they start to lose control of the narrative, mm-hmm. right? So, so Putin is going into Ukraine. He can't go back without controlling all of Ukraine. Right. The narrative is, I'm protecting you from NATO. And now... With all of the propaganda channels getting hacked and shut down and all these other things and the whole rest of the world is saying this is wrong. The Russians are seeing that Putin has lost the narrative. So what does that man do? Because he can't go back to the table. So he has to continue to push forward. There is no resolution where Ukraine either walks away free and Russia doesn't like have to completely... Uh, retreat and say like sorry this shouldn't have happened like he can't go back on this and say yeah I was wrong here because he doesn't survive that yeah I, I watched a very uh, interesting interview with him um, and I only watched a you know about a five or ten minute segment something like that because um, the man can talk Vladimir uh, Putin yeah um, but he he was basically he was sitting down he was giving he was doing a press conference um and then, like, I don't know if he thought he was done speaking or or got confused midway through the speech, but he, he like, stood up. Have you seen this clip? No. Um, so he stands up like he's going to, all right, thanks, guys. Thanks for coming out. And then he sits back down, and it's almost like maybe he had gotten something wrong in his speech because he, he then goes on, like, oh, yes, the, you know, the war is going very well. Um, everything is going according to plan. It was a very, very strange not like he really is like he's miss, missed a step now or something or missing a step or whatever, um, but it was it was it was odd. You know what hmm. I mean? It wasn't the same Vladimir Putin that you know uh, is ready to install the the urinary bladder in his pant leg so that he can give longer speeches. <laughs> yeah, I I do think th- well, and and so that's another thing is I was reading up on this is he's become more and more erratic. Mm-hmm. And I saw a counterpoint that, you know, I saw and it, it struck me and I was like, maybe I have been misconsidering this and, and, and not fully understanding the long game because he's so well known for playing chess while everyone's playing checkers. And so, you know, there's been photos of him and like him and Macron, that first meeting, the table, you know, was so far apart and they're sitting there and it. It's like weird. And then the tables keep getting longer with every time the media is taking pictures and it's, his his speeches are getting more erratic and less less sensical. And, and so it could be the narrative that he's trying to paint himself as erratic so that people will think he's definitely going to shoot off a nuclear missile. And then he has leverage in negotiations because right now, he can't even fully penetrate Ukraine. Yeah. Let alone, you know, what happens when he steps up to the next, you know, five world powers combined? Like right. you once right. you go once he goes beyond Ukraine, he is now infringing on NATO soil and you have 25 like 19 of the top 25 armies in the world. Yeah. All joining together to to silence you. So like what leverage does he have there except he's a crazy man. He'll fire a nuke at anyone. Yeah, and then you and I were talking about this too earlier, and I, I know that you have other things to get to. So if you want to stop no, no, the no. talk, you know, you stop me anytime. I got all night, baby. I got more questions for you. 
as long as as long as the Mad Libs community wants to hear us talk about it, I'll talk all night. <laughs> I don't know if they want that, <laughs> but they do want to watch you wink. Uh, you can see that on our YouTube page. Um, we should make a Twitter of you doing that, or what? Not a Twitter. What's the other one? The tic- TikTok. Ticker tack. Yeah, ticky tacks. I made a TikTok. I know. I saw your ticky tacks. Yeah, my wife caught yeah. me in a moment. Yeah. Yeah, Anna said something about that ticky tack that you put out there, and she's like. Um, Gosh, what were you saying? Oh, you're talking about Five Below. I think she was instantly offended because, uh, you know, Noel and her are the exact same thing. Anna would definitely go make a return at Five Below. Yeah, yeah. So and I was like, I was like, see, I was like, no, honey, it's he's he's 100 percent accurate. Yeah, he's, they he's they make the return at Five Below, but then it allows them like, oh, well, I'm already out, so I might as well go to TJ Max and Old Navy. So like, you're better off telling your wife to say, no, you don't need to return it. I'll throw out that $5 item or less yeah. because it's going to cost me $100 at TJ Maxx and $50 at Old Navy to recoup the $5 that I just got back from Five Below. Yeah. And it's, it, it's, it is accurate. I, I will, yeah. you know what? But we love our wives. Yeah. They're amazing. Oh, yes, and that, yeah, and so yeah. they deserve that right sometimes. But yeah. at this, if I'm looking at it logically, it would be far more cost effective to just throw out the five dollar item, whatever. Or, or it not is. go to five below in the beginning. Well, yeah, that's true too. Anyways, enough about our wives. <laughs> and now I almost—I think I forgot my question, didn't I? Oh yeah, no, I got it back. I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. Okay. Um. So, say Putin continues on through Ukraine, that's probably going to take him another couple of months, I'd imagine, at least. I, I mean, maybe it, it, well, it depends, especially, especially especially if the deal goes through, because I do know that uh, the you know Ukraine has been asking for um, for uh, fighter fighter jets from yeah they Poland, want from Poland yeah so the United States is supplying Poland with fighter jets yeah they're gonna that back, they're gonna they're basically backlogging right and then Poland will give their jets to the to Ukraine right and. And I think that's a great move, and I think it's important. Yeah. What Zelensky has actually been asking for a lot, and I was actually very in favor, and then I had a really good conversation with Jason, and then I started doing a little more research, and I, I was a little against it, a little more against it, but uh, President Zelensky had asked for Making a no-fly zone. Yeah. And yeah. so I was actually very agreeable to that. I think it's... I think it, I, here's my problem is I, I feel like we're watching World War One and World War Two play out and we're appeasing this asshole authoritarian just like we did. Like, oh, well, yeah, you took Czechoslovakia, no big deal. And then what? And then it's like, oh, well, now he's marching through Poland and he's marching through Russia. And like, that's what Hitler did. He just kept going. And so while I understand we don't want to engage I just I have such a hard time sitting back and I'm not signing up. I'm not I'm not rushing over to Ukraine either. But I have such a hard time with us just sitting back and not doing more. But I also understand like we can't we just got out of Afghanistan. We cannot jump into another war. Well, I think the second we send our fighter jets over there, it's well, World War Three. Yeah, and so there's no there's no take backsies after that. And there's no way to justify it to 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 Putin. That's yeah, for sure. So I mean, it's like that's you know because because the way that works is is if you create a no fly zone. And this is what I learned. If you create a no fly zone, that's all well and good until you actually have to enforce that. And the moment you shoot down a plane, that's the only way to truly enforce it. Is like you're flying your planes, mm-hmm. they're flying theirs, and you say you need to back off. This is a no fly zone. Well, that 
you know, offender has two choices to either continue flying and call your bluff or retreat. Well, if they don't retreat and they, they're calling your bluff, you now are obligated to shoot them down. You've declared it a no-fly zone, and you need to enforce that. Well, now you've shot down an enemy plane, and you are fully engaged in warfare. So that's the problem with creating a no-fly right. zone, even if all of NATO does it, which I think would be the only answer that could be, is if NATO, yeah. all of the, what is it, 25 nations want to you know do this, then so be it. My other frustration, you know, I had this when I was talking with some people was like Ukraine, Ukraine has had a special relationship with NATO. Like they they are actually uh, claimed to be in a special relationship with NATO. They have special privileges and they contribute and they do different things. And so if they're already basically accepted, like they're a, they're a cousin of NATO and now they're like in a situation where they need our help. They they are applying to be a part of NATO, but they didn't qualify right away. Well, what what are we doing? And we were the ones in 1994 that asked them to de-arm. They have no nuclear power because of us. And so we said, well, we'll protect you. Well, we've sent over a lot of javelins and armored cars and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, we're sending, you know, aid billions of dollars we're sending over planes to poland to then you know backlog or whatever we're doing a lot but it's just like is this enough is this when we make a promise to people who actually do have a special relationship with us is this what we mean when we say we we got your back we're gonna throw dollar bills at you chunks of metal hopefully you can fly it you know is that what we're going to do so i think long term we have to be either very careful about the agreements we make or we have to be very, very clear that when we make an agreement, we're going to hold people to it and we're going to hold ourselves accountable. And that's my biggest fear of all this. Well, one of my bigger fears that what 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 value does our word have? Is, is it like the dollar bill where it's losing out to Bitcoin and Ethereum over the long term? Or is it like, will it ever actually carry the weight that it once did? Because when America said it was getting involved, it got involved. Sometimes foolishly. Yeah, I mean that's it's a, it, that's a very interesting point and um, not far off base. I just think that it's tricky, and um, there's a lot of times when I'm I I have uh, thoughts uh, come through my head that I'm just like, oh well, it's just so clear. Here's what we do. Mm-hmm. But there's so many repercussions here. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean, because um, you were saying earlier it's a 50-50 shot. So say things don't go well. Yeah, so they were doing these simulations. Yeah. Like you can do, essentially, if you ever saw the movie War Games, like you're mm-hmm. you're playing out the entire war simulation. Like what would happen? And, you, you know, it takes into all kinds of different factors. And it was essentially a 50-50 shot that Russia fires off a nuclear power. Because right. in, in, in all simulations... There's no end game for Putin without doing that. So either he falls and like, you know, falls flat on his ass and people remove him, or he goes to the end game and and that's basically his only way out of this to get leverage. Unless people like on the American side, it doesn't get that far. We think he'll shoot off a nuclear bomb. And so we decide to negotiate even though we have technically more leverage than him. 
So yeah, yeah, but it's hard when you're talking about yes, okay, we have so we have more bombs. We have a more uh tactical military. You know what I mean? Um you know, this could be the one point where we feel good about what our military budget is. Um which is uh quite the rarity. Um but you know, even if we can beat them in a nuclear war, you still just destroyed so much of the planet. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. And so it's a, it's a scary thought. It's not like in, you know, and I'm not saying that World War II wasn't a scary time, but nobody knew what an atomic bomb was at that time. Right. You know what I mean. So it's right. like, listen, we're a bunch of America Americans. Yeehaw! We're gonna go overseas and we're gonna go whoop the shit out of some people. You know what I mean? And we could get we could carry through on training and attitude alone. Whereas now it's like, yeah, you know what? If we went head to head with Russia, you know, and we made a no nuclear policy, um, I strongly believe that we could beat the Russians. You know what I mean? Oh, but for throw, sure. But you throw in that big red button and it's like, well, fuck, we're not going to push the nuclear button before they do. That's for sure. Right. You know what I mean? I should hope not. Well, we made that mistake. Well, not well. We've Debatable, made that, but we we've made, made that decision the, before. Yeah, I was just going to say that. Yeah, we've made that yeah. decision yeah, yeah, before. Yeah. Yeah, we we didn't press a button back then. Well, they did, but it was out of a plane, um, which is crazy. You should see look into like how high up they had to be flying and all that kind oh, yeah. of shit, uh, just to drop those things, um, just so they didn't get hit, hit by that wave. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a really really scary thing. Yeah. Um, and you were saying that you thought if they did launch a nuclear weapon, if things don't go well in Ukraine, you thought you're saying that you thought they would drop simulations. Well, yeah, the simulations were saying that if it were to be likely, it'd be somewhere in the EU, obviously, distance-wise. You know, it would be very difficult for them to shoot a nuclear, even a, you know, whatever, hyperbolistic, yeah, supersonic, hyperbaric chamber, whatever. Yeah. The cool words that they detached, all these missiles that are, like, more and more destructive. And so it would be very hard for them to land that over on an American soil where it would be truly detrimental you know like i mean california is much further than some of the major landmarks in the eu and so they'd have to get a submarine over here yeah so i think it would be far more effective or hit alaska for them to sarah palin can't see russia from her back door i don't mean to laugh because nuclear war is not funny but but you know the idea is that he would most likely attack somewhere in the eu Mm mm-hmm to say like I will continue doing this like it's not just oh Russia has one bomb and done like they have what 1100 nuclear missiles or something along those lines and we have like 2400 or something so we have like double what they have but I mean the 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 magnificent power not magnificent in a big in a good way but in a big way the magnificent power that 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 leader is controlling is is really hard to grasp so that point of leverage then well okay so they fire at the eu now the united states it's a 50 50 shot if the united states gets involved and shoots off a nuclear bomb you know or do we do you know how do we go about that and so it's a very like you said it's a very scary thing and i i won't lie i was very very adamant that we needed to get more involved and I was like, no fly zone is the way to go. That's what Zelensky needs. We need to stop the momentum now in Ukraine before he gets further. And if he starts attacking NATO nations, okay, well, then maybe China does get involved. 
Because right now, the way I look at it is China is sitting back watching what happens. Mm-hmm. They're playing it in a very smart way that I think they were supposed to get involved. And I'll kind of get into what I was going to later, but I'll, I'll start getting into it now. I think this was all in, in we we saw some of these facts come to surface in an interview with John Bolton, who is this uh, uh, secretary of state and or was he Department of Defense? I don't know. Anyways, John Bolton came out and he was a, one of the closest advisors to the Trump administration uh, regarding foreign policy. Um, he was the national security advisor. Sorry. And he had said that. Trump was going to pull out of NATO if he won his second term. So I think he was essentially Putin was banking on Trump to pull out of NATO. Okay, so this is from one of his closest confidants saying Trump was going to pull out of NATO in his second term. And if the United States is out of NATO, they're no longer held to being responsible if Latvia gets bombed, which is a NATO nation. The Latvia is, is tiny compared to some of our other allies, but since they're in that whole alliance, we're responsible for all equally. Well, if Trump is out, okay, the United States is not meddling or getting involved here. We're not we're not supplying Zelensky and the Ukrainian army. We're distancing ourselves from from our allies. Meanwhile, China would then take Taiwan and Russia can continue pushing forward to the Ukraine. I think it was all a really big part of it. Well, Trump didn't win his second term. So that part is out. We're still a part of NATO. And if anything, Biden has done, if we're, you know, I'm critical of Biden with a lot of things. But one thing I will absolutely give him credit for is reuniting all the allies. The G7 is stronger than ever. And so Trump being out removed part of that plan. And so China's sitting back saying, I don't know if we want to go through with our part of the plan. Because Russia isn't steamrolling Ukraine like it had planned. So so much so that supposedly Putin has been having meetings with his you know advisors and absolutely fucking pissed because they are not steamrolling, which is pre- presenting a message to the Russian people that they're not as strong as they think. And he's not as good a leader as they think. So that is falling apart. So China's like, whoa, let's wait. Now, if all of a sudden... Russia does start to steamroll. They do take Kiev. They do bomb the shit out of Odessa like they're planning to today and tomorrow. They do steamroll through Ukraine. Now all of a sudden, maybe China does get involved, does take Taiwan, does start to help reinforce Russia and support them. Right now, they've abstained. They haven't condemned. They've abstained. So they haven't condemned nor supported what's going on in Russia. They're just, it is what it is. And they've abstained. But all of a sudden they do start to get the support. Now morale goes back up in Russia. So that's like a fear that I have with this whole thing is like, if Russia does start to really gain momentum in Ukraine, what happens with China and Taiwan? What happens all of a sudden now you're getting all of the Chinese influence financially, militarily. It's a whole different ball game. And so that's why I'm so critical of like, we have to do more for Ukraine to prevent that momentum to, you know, once that momentum starts going, it's going to be very, very difficult to provide enough friction to slow it down. 
So that's that's where I'm at with it, you know, and I'm looking at what's going on domestically and it and it it gives me some fears about our own internal mechanisms. For instance, like I mentioned with Donald Trump and like okay, there's a lot there. He was withholding the funds from the Ukraine. That's why he got impeached the first time. He was withholding those funds. He was talking about pulling out of NATO. He was inviting uh, Russia into the G7. He was at the G7 summit saying Russia should be here. They're good friends. Vladimir Putin's a good guy. He, he should be in this. He should be part of this group. He has a lot to contribute. So we have that instance. And then we also have. Do you the, think that him being a part of the G7 though would have changed anything in the Ukraine? Do you think that he would have almost been uh, slightly more apprehensive about going into the Ukraine or into Ukraine? No, I think it would have just promoted his ability to control further. He would have made di- different and deeper alliances, in my opinion. I don't think so. No. Yeah, I really don't. Putin, Putin being a part of the group, NATO, I'm not, I'm not G7. Saying, I'm not saying it was a good idea. I'm just saying, do you think that, like, it's kind of like, uh, you know, when the bad guy tries to sneak into the good guy's club, and then all of a sudden he starts becoming a good guy because he really realizes that... I don't know. I don't know what story that is because that is not what Putin would be like. It's from, like, a cartoon or something for sure. Okay. Well, <laughs> uh, you know, I will say this. Uh, the Cartoon Network is not the inspiration of Putin. Because he would not find a shred of goodness within him. He is not the Grinch where all of a sudden his heart becomes three times bigger. Yeah, see, there you go. By becoming part of the UN. Or <laughs> by, sorry. By pretending be, by, to be, by be Santa. <laughs> yeah, by by becoming you know part of NATO. So we have all that. We have the Russian money funneling into the GOP through the NRA. And now we're seeing even still instances. Explain that. What? Well, I mean, that's been declared since 2016 they were funneling money the nra the national rifle association for the russians no the russians were putting a ton of money into the nra and nra is huge donator uh donators to the donators to the gop and specifically several you know big names for instance a marco rubio marco rubio has been slow to condemn what's going on not that he hasn't but then they have this meeting with Zelensky of of Ukraine. It's a Zoom meeting. And it was with the U.S. Select Committee of Intelligence. And he is part of that. As the Zoom was about to begin, they asked them not to take any pictures because it could infringe on the security of the president of Ukraine. And what does Marco Rubio do? He immediately takes a screenshot and tweets it out. He has been tweeting all kinds of updates that he is claiming has been declassified. But he is tweeting all over about like updates and maps and shit like that. So I'm looking at this internal mechanism of of American democracy. And I'm very nervous about one of the leading parties in, in this country actively helping the forces we are saying are bad. And so then we look at, well, what is the media doing? And the media, social media, you know, uh, cable news, all of these things. You know, if you watch Tucker Carlson 
I don't think there could be a bigger apologist for Vladimir Putin than Tucker Carlson here in America. And so I'm watching that. He's bigger than Trump. Are you think he's bigger than Trump? I, I think, think he's Trump's, more vocal. Yeah, I don't think Trump is really necessarily an apologist. You know, he's not an apologist. He's he compliments, but like, yeah, Tucker Carlson is far more eloquent than Donald Trump, and he can frame things very similar, like a Ben Shapiro. Ben Shapiro has a way of framing things in a way that is very believable, and so Tucker Carlson is very very similar, and. The way he's presented this whole situation is Russia's not that bad. They're doing it for their own security. You know, I see on Fox News, uh, what's his name was on there? Shit. Uh, Douglas McGregor, the nominated Trump ambassador to yeah, Germany. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said, the Russian forces have been too gentle, and I don't see anything heroic about Zelensky on Fox News. And so Putin has been able to manage things. He did it in 2016. We saw it with the Cambridge Analytica revelations. We saw it when you know Facebook had to open up everything and show us how much Russian influence there was during the 2016 and the 2020 elections. Similarly, now that Russia has been shut off from all those platforms, they've identified the fact that Republican senators and Congress people are not getting the same likes and retweets. Factually, that is statistically proven. So Russia was absolutely a part of the polarization of our country. Vladimir Putin knew how to destroy the the country was not by nuclear bombs, but from within. And while I criticize Donald Trump for calling Vladimir Putin a genius, while he's invading another country, he is a brilliant strategist at destroying other countries. He knows you steamroll Ukraine, you outpower them, you outman them, you outgun them, you out, you know, outspend them. But the United States, you can't do that. He had us destroy ourselves from within. There was pandemic misinformation, there was election misinformation. You know, there are still people chanting that Donald Trump is our president currently in America. And I know it's a very, very small base of people. And I understand, you know, their intellect might be questionable. Their mental health might be questionable, but it doesn't matter. There are still people and these these elements of media continue to polarize. And that is a very, very damaging thing. And it's very difficult to heal that unless we really, really get transparent about everything. It's like, it's like in a relationship when the trust has been abused, Mm -hmm. the only way to come back from it is to lay everything out on the table and you have to make the decision to say, we're going to work through this, but you can't, you can't hold anything back. And that might be what divides the relationship altogether. Similarly, this country, we might be just too divided at this point. Who knows? But we have to get really transparent about everything and sooner rather than later. In 30 years, because of the FOIA, the Freedom of Information Act, we'll have access to all kinds of classified information about 2016, about 2020, about this Ukraine situation, what Putin has done, what we're doing to fight against it, 
All of that will be made available. But until then, we won't know the true story and how are we supposed to heal? How do we come back from where we are? Because we are so fucking divided. And it's not just the right. I know I'm going after the right and the GOP and Tucker Carlson's of the world. But Putin knows that the people on the other side are getting fucking infuriated by the misinformation. And instead of saying, hold on, we'll go over it again. Let's go over the facts. Let's talk about it. And I will continue to explain that facts are facts. We have to rely on those and whatever. But a lot of people aren't patient anymore. They're not empathetic. Yeah. And we're getting lost in that. And that's that's another crucial detail that Putin understands. That by dividing us, it's not just winning over one side, mm-hmm. but by winning that one side, it pushes the other side even further. And why would they want to come back? Oh, well, they're just too stupid to realize it. That's not going to benefit us. Those types of conversations. And I understand the anger on both sides. I get it. But it's we're never, this is exactly what Putin wanted. I do think it would be way worse had Donald Trump won 2020. Absolutely. But the problem is, is even though he didn't, his influence still stands. Like you were talking about with this quote. Did you share that on this podcast yet? Uh, no, I didn't. Okay, we'll get to that in a second. But his influence is still present. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. But it's still having, it's still causing the fabric of our democracy to slowly tear. And that's what worries me most is that Putin isn't attacking us directly. He will not nuke us, in my opinion. But his ability to divide us from within has been, it's been substantial to say the least. Yeah. Sorry. I went on a rant. That's fine. Did you get to every? Uh, did you get to everything? For Trump, yes. Okay. Nice. Yeah. What was the quote though? He just had one. It was a good one. Oh, he was talking about. Um, oh, the planes. his big his biggest big war plan. We send in a bunch of uh, our F twenty two fighters with uh, Chinese flags and uh, bomb the forty mile long convoy, and then we sit back and watch Russia and uh, China fight. I mean, brilliant strategy. Strategery, if you will. Hannity thought so, because Hannity repeated it after him. I'm glad you didn't tell me that, because I would have gone even more bonkers. Anyways. Yeah. Um, There you have it. Getting back to more about our domestic aspects was, you know, the idea of, well, what, what is Biden doing? Like, what can he do? So there is talk of continuing to uh, sanction Russia and one of those sanctions could be removing all oil from Russia right all natural gas which in my opinion we should have just done from the get-go I mean what's the point of being like all right we're gonna limit it yeah we're gonna we're gonna continue to buy some and fund you know your war right because yeah. that's that's what it's doing and, and mm-hmm. I do understand people saying well you need to do more and you know, we should be drilling here. And, you know, you and I were talking about that earlier, but that's not the answer either. But I do think 
we have to completely outlaw Russian oil at this point. And so gas prices are going to go up. They already have. I think in our area, they've gone up about 50 cents uh, from literally like two weeks ago. It's gone up like 50 cents. Yeah, I mean, they've been slowly creeping up anyways, but yeah. And I, and I, I think, you know, as I framed it with Kevin, it's like, you know, that's 15 extra dollars at the pump, right? So if I'm talking about 15 extra dollars, that's a Netflix subscription to support sanctioning Russia and do what we can. We can't do the no-fly zone and stuff like that, so fine. What we're going to do is take away all their money, and now we're not going to continue funding, you know, their war by not giving them any money for their, their oil or natural gas. So I have to, you know, spend an extra $15 at the pump every time. Okay, we can adjust. But that's, that's not a, some, not a, yeah. Well, you got to be careful there. Don't oversimplify either, because there are some people that can't adjust to that. You know, what I mean, there's some people that really that puts a, a, a wrench in the gears. For so them, I was thinking I mean? about that. Okay. Okay. We should a cap the prices. Yeah. No. 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 And b understanding the government is understanding of us and will help lower the cost. By removing the taxation. Mm-hmm. If we're giving up Russian oil that is going to influence the price, the government is doing all they can. That's another thing they can do is remove the taxation on the gas. Yeah. No, and I'm not saying that. And that's like 23 cents. I'm not saying there's not a solution for it. I'm just saying that, you know. Oh, I'm not trying to oversimplify. And I understand. $15 can make or break. I mean, dude, I, when we talk voter ID laws, I'm fighting for $5 re- with regards to voters. Right. There should be no there should be no cost. Right. So I'll, I understand. But when people are complaining like the, the the cost of gas is too high. Well, there's other things like you need to then put it in perspective. Like you need to give something up then. I understand you have to get to work. That is something you can't give up. Right. But you have to give up your Netflix. You have to give up, you know, the whatever you know, subscriptions you might have. And if you don't yeah. have any, I'm sure you, there's there's ways around it. But people need to realize, like, <laughs> we're not giving up much in the yeah. big scheme of things. Yeah. Our children aren't singing Let It Go in, in bomb shelters. And we need to have that perspective, the humanitarian perspective that it's the very fucking least we can do to support. It's the absolute least we can do. And so that's one of my biggest frustrations. It has nothing to do with Biden. The oil companies are making record profits year over year. If we're a capitalist, if if capitalism really works and we're going to do the right thing, then those companies maybe need to shed some of their profit margins. Okay? And it's not drill, baby, drill by giving them more land leases. As Jen Psaki pointed out during a press briefing, there are 9,000 unused land leases for drilling, both oil and gas. Those companies don't want to go out and get more workers, more equipment, well, and ruin their margins. To, they're going to have to if you know if we completely cut ourselves off from Russian dependency. Um, maybe, but maybe not. Maybe they can. we can just pay $5, $6 a gallon because people will. Yeah, I don't know about that. 
I truly don't. I, I hope not. I think that you're. I think that you're. Uh, you're. You're definitely on a rant here with that, and you're getting yourself all fired up. And I'm just. I, I think that. Um, wait, so wait. I so, still have a little bit of a little bit more hope for humanity than that. I think that if we cut ourselves off from Russian oil, it's going just there. There's going to be a, a an issue with supply, and so they'll they'll have to do more drilling. And I'm not even a fan of that. I think we should all go electric. Well, yeah, I, I, I we said that on a podcast before. One hundred percent agree. Like, stop. Yeah, you. I, we talked about it at length. Like, it's not just Russian oil dependency; it's oil dependency altogether. But we can't do it overnight. We we could over the next ten years or so if we invested. Yeah. Which is like you know. Yeah. We could build back better mm-hmm. for America. Yeah. But we voted that down. Maybe this will bring some clarity to how important and relevant that is. I think we, we're, I think we should be so much more self-sustaining. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was talking with my cousin who's like in finance and stuff like that. And he was like talking about like, you know, the 80s and 90s were all focused on outsourcing. That's what it all was because it was all about margins. Make your margins, hit huge stock prices, cash out, get real, real fat with money. That's what they did. And then we had a collapse. We haven't fixed anything. We continue to watch our economy collapse. We rebuild it. Who bails it out? The middle and lower class. Because they're the ones that take on a higher percentage of taxes in, in relation to the effective tax rate. Okay? And we continue to do this. And we're going to do it again. And so we do need to focus on self-sustaining operations with energy, with manufacturing. We know China is like on the cusp here. They're just watching to see what goes on with Russia. Why are we not focusing all of our efforts? These massive companies, these trillion dollar companies like Apple and Amazon. Why are they not focusing entirely on moving manufacturing practices here? I'm sorry, your margins will be cut into because you're going to have to finally pay your workers a living wage. Apple's not supplying phones to Russia anymore. Good. I'm just saying. I wonder if Sarah Palin's chucking them from her back door, though. Yeah, maybe. chucking them over. No, so I I think I I agree with you. I I don't want to be cynical or pessimistic about it all. But I think we also have to be very realistic that the the gallon of gas is probably going to get over $5, in my opinion. Oh, for sure. I would say in a matter of the next couple of weeks. Right. So with that in mind, like, Will demand all of a sudden, you know, go down? I don't know. Well, I mean, we've got spring around the corner here, at least in the Midwest, which is going to be nice, you know what I mean, because people can walk more places um, or find other means of transportation. But it's not, you know what I mean? Man. Looking at the pandemic levels, April of 2020, $1.76 a gallon was the average. Mm. Yeah. Now we're up to 360 and this is a this is a really important key ingredient here is it is not the president it is supply and demand people need to realize that it is not the government making decisions they can tap into the reserves and i talked about it last podcast if we only used our reserves we have 4.79 years left that's it well we already just pulled 30 billion or 30 million barrels right of oil out of our own. And we're, we're in what? Uh, we do 500,000 barrels a day? Something like that. Yeah, it's up there. It's insane. 
So I do, I do understand like Biden has been preaching to the rest of the world. Like, Hey, you need to up your production because we are one of the most oil productive countries. Like we produce a shit ton of oil and a lot of other countries don't. So they need to ramp it up as well, but that's up to them. Yeah. The average in California was $5 and 34 cents. Some stations are charging over $6 in California. And that's because there's just so much demand. Hmm. If you pay with cash, this is really cool. How to save on gas. Nearly 9 in 10 car owners are concerned about being able to fill up. Track gas prices. You know, based on the day, start planning out, like, how you're going to do you're filling up like is it i think it's like tuesdays are one of the best days i don't know look at you know track gas prices see what you know stations around you are better you know if you're traveling to a certain area for work if it's better near your work or if it's better near your home like if you're heading into cook county not a good idea to fill up there but if you're heading out towards you know you know rockford and you're stopping in you know one of the farming areas probably good stuff Good place to stop. So do that. Drive strategically. It says sign up for loyalty programs. That's interesting. I sign up for Shell. So pay with cash. Gas stations sometimes charge 10 to 15 cents more when it's a credit card transaction. Yeah, it's to pay for the transaction fees. Right, which is actually only 3%, so they're just jacking it up because they can. That's true, too. (laughs) So, yeah. A lot going on. Sure is. I think we covered a lot. I'm sorry. Did yeah. you have anything you wanted to feed off of here or like chime in and like, I don't know, Putin socks or something? <laughs> uh, knock, knock. Who's there? KGB. <laughs> don't slap me. I know this joke. <laughs> yeah. No, that's it. I mean, I, I had, you know, I had some thoughts, but. Uh, like what? I, I mean, this is 10 minutes ago, Brian. Oh. Um, but I, no, I thought you did a great job expressing how you felt about that. Yeah. You did. Okay. Yeah. But I don't want to go back to like a previous, uh, subject or point that you already brought up. Um, what do you think is going to happen in the next week? In Um, Ukraine? Because did you see the whole thing about the nuclear plant? Yes. With the fight, like they wouldn't, like the Russians wouldn't let the firefighters in. Yeah, they were like shooting at them to keep them out, so the yeah. the nuclear plant would blow up. Yeah, luckily they got in, got gained control of both the fire and the plant again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what do, what, up, what, what do you what do you what do you see as being an update in the next week? Where are you at? Where are you thinking? I don't think that they'll take Kiev yet. Really, you think Kiev like lasts at least another week? For sure. Wow. Yeah, for I sure. I hope so. I think that they'll, you know, I think they're definitely going to get help from, um, from neighboring countries or, you know what I mean? At least from, uh, Europe, I think Poland will get those planes over there. You know what I mean? That's going to be a huge thing for them. Um, I heard Germany sent over shitty equipment. Like it wasn't all functional. Some uh, of it was like outdated and that doesn't surprise me though. But you know what I mean? Like when you, you have to keep in mind that because our military budget is so big, we don't sit on anything old it's always new um you know hence like in the the movie war dogs you know that's why they they wouldn't accept the uh the chinese ammo was it chinese ammo yeah um 
Or was it Russian ammo? Maybe it was Russian ammo. I think it was Russian from Afghanistan or something. Yeah, like Soviet. No, ammo. no, was, I think it was Chinese. I think you're right. Yeah, but it was it was old ammo. Yeah. Um, you know, we have standards here, whereas I think a lot of other countries, you know, maybe not quite as high because they don't invest as much into their military. So we'll see. The next week, I think that, yeah, I, I think that the capital will still stand. I don't know what shape it'll be in. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see. I'm, I'm, you know, focusing a little bit more on what's going on in Russia uh, as far as, uh, and not even so much with the oligarchs, but with, the, with Putin and with the Russian people. I'm very curious to see how long they kind of put up with it and, uh, you know, Wrapping up with a a really feel-good moment, I I saw a young Russian soldier who was uh, surrendered. And he was like, the Ukrainian people were taking care of him. They fed him, gave him tea, and allowed him to FaceTime his mother. And he complained to his mother that, like, the Russian army isn't what they say they are and blah, blah, blah. But just to, like, have someone invading you and then still do the right thing after and feed and clothe and make sure they're warm and allow them to talk to their mother like the humanity that's being expressed there that's that does give me hope those moments ukraine itself its actions its people gives me hope for humanity because even in the worst crisis that most of those people have ever faced they were still able to stand tall and do the right thing. And that gives me hope for all of all of the human race. I think that's a good uh, ending point, Brian. That's good. Sure. I like that. Okay. I do. Yeah. Sounds good. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Do gr- <laughs> Jesus Christ, you should practice your I need lines to, I need to practice start. my line. Yeah. Do good. Whisper it. Whisper it. No, no. Whisper it into your breath first. Be great. I love you. I love you. How you gonna react? We insomniacs, we ain't get no sleep. Break the rules, can't stay on beat. Making moves, running through the streets. A to Z, follow my lead. Saints status quo, this is rock and roll. This is skydive, yellow now, run them This is bye bye, ta ta, audio. This is all or none, this is all I know. This that I don't know, we try to go. I don't even know, I'm just trying to roll. Me and my friends trying to hit the road, trying to catch a wave, gotta see my soul. Thought I was gone, but I'm back. Wild ones on the attack. Just break out.